The Lord be with you. The Word became flesh and dwells among us. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel on this brisk, no, I dare say it, cold Sunday morning. And we uh, bear greetings to those also listening on airwaves on 90.9 WBUR and over internet signals at WBUR.org. We bear particular greetings this morning to the Reverend Soren Hessler, who will be bearing the word to us this morning. He is our chapel associate for leadership development. He, along with his wife, the Reverend Jennifer Quigley, will be co-celebrating at table this morning as well. Greetings, as always, to our dear friends in Coro Novo under the direction of Director Therese Provenzano, who will be providing our music this morning. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his regards as he is away in these weeks and will return after the winter intercession. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity. Your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
lesson from the Wisdom of Sirach, chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. Wisdom praises herself and tells of her glory in the midst of her people. In the assembly of the Most High, she opens her mouth, and in the presence of his hosts, she tells of her glory. I came forth from the mouth of the Most High and covered the earth like a mist. I dwelt in the highest heavens, and my throne was in a pillar of cloud. Alone I compassed the vault of heaven and traversed the depths of the abyss. Over waves of the sea, over all the earth, and over every people and nation I have held sway. Among all these I sought a resting place, in whose territory should I abide? Then the creator of all things gave me a command, and my creator chose the place for my tent. He said, Make your dwelling in Jacob, and in Israel receive your inheritance. Before the ages, in the beginning, he created me, and for all the ages I shall not cease to be. In the holy tent I ministered before him, and so I was established in Zion. Thus in the beloved city he gave me a resting place, and in Jerusalem was my domain. I took root in an honored people, in the portion of the Lord, his heritage. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. invite you to read responsibly with me verses from the Wisdom of Solomon. race, wisdom delivered from a nation of oppressors. She entered the soul of a servant of the Lord and withstood drag kings with wonders and signs. She gave to holy people the reward of their labors. She guided them along a marvelous way. 
She became a shelter to them by day and a starry flame through the night. She brought them over the Red Sea and led them through deep waters, but she drowned their enemies and cast them up from the depth of the sea. Therefore the righteous plundered the ungodly. They sing hymns, O Lord, to your holy name and praise with one accord your defending hand. For wisdom opened the mouths of those who were mute and made the tongues of infants speak clearly. invite you to stand as you're able for the singing of the glory of Patri and the reading of the gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. It is always a great honor and privilege to be invited to greet you from this pulpit. Jen and I have been a part of this community at Marsh Chapel for more than five years now and I'm continually delighted and awed by the work and ministry of this place. I'm truly grateful to Dean Hill for the opportunity to be with you this morning and for seeing fit to continue both Jen and I on the staff these past several years. Part of the attraction for me to Marsh Chapel over these years has been its truly ecumenical approach to chaplaincy and religious life. Of course, we're rooted in the Methodist tradition which gave birth to the university, and both Jen and I, like the dean, are United Methodist clergy. But the ministry staff represents a broad spectrum of denominations and communities. American Baptist, Community of Christ, Episcopal, Lindisfarne, Lutheran, Roman Catholic, Southern Baptist, United Church of Christ, Unitarian Universalist. 
We each come from different religious communities, but we're united in our purpose of journeying with students as they explore faith, grow in knowledge, and commit to service in the greater community. Certainly, we don't always agree on the finer details of theology and doctrine. That's why we have both wine and grape juice at communion today, and each week it's celebrated here in the nave. But the spirit of ecumenical cooperation for a greater good pervades the work of this place. This intentional ecumenism is made manifest in a variety of ways. This morning, the wine and grape juice are perhaps the most tangible examples. But every week, you'll notice that the bulletin welcomes you to an interdenominational service of worship. The liturgy itself is a blend of traditions. For example, it's not a United Methodist service, nor is it an Episcopal service, but you'll find elements of both traditions in the rhythm of the service. Few other places would you hear the Agnus Dei alongside a United Methodist setting of the Great Thanksgiving for communion. Marsh Chapel is both a religious community and a teaching community. It lifts up the best things that our various traditions have to offer, both in liturgy and music, and offers them in regular service to the university community. Hospitality to all, regardless of faith tradition, sexual orientation, economic status, physical ability, or political view, becomes both an important expression of the ecumenical cooperation of the chapel and a constant reminder of how we are to work together in ministry in support of students and all people on life's journey. Hospitality comes in many forms. For many people, a regular rhythm of worship, including a lesson from the Hebrew Bible and or a New Testament epistle, a psalm and a gospel lesson makes the liturgy accessible. Folks know what to expect from week to week. Well, I might have turned that regular rhythm on its ear a little bit this morning, uh, and I think I had a good reason to do so. I noticed more than one puzzled face in the nave this morning when we were reading the lessons. You thought to yourself, Sirach? Wisdom of Solomon? Where's the psalm? Isn't today Epiphany? Where's the wise men narrative? For many years, Marsh Chapel has followed the Revised Common Lectionary. It's the standard set of Bible readings used by a vast majority of mainline Protestants here in North America, the UK, and Australia. In the 1980s, representatives from a variety of liturgically-minded denominations gathered to formulate a lectionary, a cycle of readings based on the three-year lectionary developed by the Second Vatican Council for the Roman Catholic Church. That common lectionary was revised in 1993 and has since been adopted for use by more than 30 denominations, as it is in my own United Methodist Church. It's one way that a local religious community may be united with others around the world each week, reading the same scriptures and reflecting on similar themes. And Marsh Chapel, its use is again an expression of our ecumenical spirit. The RCL recognizes today as the second Sunday after Christmas, a liturgical Sunday which only exists in the calendar year when Christmas falls on particular days of the week. December 25th, 2013 happened to be a Wednesday, so we're in luck for 2014. Last year, we had no second Sunday after Christmas. Unique liturgical Sundays do not always occur in a particular year, like today's second Sunday after Christmas, but they often play host to a variety of more obscure, sometimes apocryphal, or deuterocanonical readings. Often these readings never enter the Sunday morning liturgy for one of several reasons. Some churches, especially Protestant communities in which Luther's canon is exclusively used in worship, simply elect to never use the apocryphal and deuterocanonical texts, which are always listed as alternate or supplemental readings. Or, as is more often the case, local communities will celebrate holidays which fall on a weekday on the nearest Sunday, effectively eliminating liturgical days like today. Most United Methodist churches designate the first Sunday in January as Epiphany Sunday because there are no regular weekday services. Now, Epiphany is most certainly important. It heralds the kingship of Christ and recognizes God's manifestation among us as a human being. On Epiphany, we hear from the Gospel of Matthew of wise men coming from the East, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? 
They had come to pay him homage and sought Herod's guidance in finding the child. Eventually, they found Jesus with Mary, and they knelt down and paid him homage, opened their treasure chests, and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When I was a child, I always liked playing the role of one of the kings in the Christmas play. Not really because I got to wear a funny outfit and a really cool crown, but because those playing the role of the kings often got to reprise the role for a very brief reenactment of the visit of the Magi on Epiphany Sunday, two weeks after Christmas. As eager as I was for the annual reenactment, I must confess that I never really understood the importance of the wise men's visit. And I also wondered why there were no wise women Not until seminary did I realize that for centuries, the church recognized those travelers from the East as the first to recognize Jesus' power and authority on earth. And the role I had played several times as a child was one of remembering this first recognition by people of God's presence with us on earth in human flesh. I didn't see that in the annual retelling of the Christmas story, and I wonder how many others have missed this too. Maybe we're too focused on whether the six-year-old draped in purple sheets is going to trip on his merry journey to visit the baby Jesus. Or maybe the theological consequences of a patriarchal authority structure assumed in the words of the Matthew narrative overshadow the specialness of the recognition of Christ as God with us. Now, recognizing this theological problem, the editors of Women's Uncommon Prayers have imagined an alternative narrative for the Magi story titled Three Wise Women. If there had been three wise women, would the Epiphany story have been different? You bet it would. They would have asked for directions, (laughs) arrived early, delivered the baby, cleaned the stable, cooked the dinner, and brought practical gifts. (laughs) God bless the wise women. Today's scripture lessons from the wisdom tradition provide an alternate vision and language for God made flesh. Our gospel lesson recognizes the incarnation of God among us and the power vested in Christ. In the first chapter of John, Christ is named as Word, Light, the one through whom all things came into being, full of grace and truth. John concretizes the abstract in the form of Jesus, God incarnate, Word made flesh. There's a certain fondness for John's gospel at the chapel. Its poetry enchants us, its mystery envelops us. It echoes the beauty of the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures and the multitude of ways in which God's word is encountered. But discussions of God's word and wisdom are not limited to the wisdom literature alone. Throughout Hebrew scripture, God's word is God's creative, eminent, acting force in the world. In the first chapter of Genesis, God speaks creation into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let the earth bring forth creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind, and it was so. The Psalms praise God's creative word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of his mouth. Isaiah writes of God's word, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Hebrew canon also observes God's word as wisdom, especially contained in the sapiential books of Job, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Wisdom of Solomon, and Sirach. 
The wisdom tradition found in these texts teaches about God and virtue. God's word or wisdom is often found in the abstract in these texts. In the Song of Songs, we encounter God as lover of our souls in the discourse of a prince and his bride. In Proverbs, we encounter maxims and admonitions interspersed with metaphor, truth conveyed in the abstract. The reading appointed for today from Sirach is no different. Wisdom itself is personified as a woman dwelling among the Hebrew people and ministering to them, an acknowledgement that God's word works through and among the people. The reading from the wisdom of Solomon again extols the deeds of God's wisdom, personified as woman, working through the Hebrew people over time. In John's gospel, we have God's word, God's presence in each of these many encounters of God retold throughout scripture, bound into the very being of Christ. From creation to the crossing of the Red Sea, from a lover's description of hair like a flock of goats and cheeks like the halves of a pomegranate, to the proverb that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, God's wisdom, God's creating word is beautiful beyond description. It works outside patriarchal structures, pervades relationships, inspires literature, and is in relationship with us through Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, we encounter Christ as the incarnate word, the word of wisdom. We may be more familiar with a theological metaphor that Jesus is word, but the theological metaphor that God is wisdom, Sophia, wise woman, is just as scriptural and deeply true. Without incorporating the knowledge of God's word and wisdom found throughout scripture, but especially in the wisdom literature of today's lectionary reading, Epiphany only announces a king with great power, not also God as patient teacher, passionate friend, and eternal companion. The lectionary brings to the fore the fullness of scripture. This second Sunday after Christmas is meant to prepare us to hear the story of the Magi. We encounter God's word as divine wisdom. She dwells among us, befriends us, inspires us. That same word and wisdom is the divine born into the world on Christmas Day. It is the same word the Magi pay homage to, and it's the same word we know in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the same word wise women such as Renita Weems, Mary Daly, Emily Towns, Elizabeth Johnson, Sally McFaig, Katie Cannon, Dolores Williams, and Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza have been bringing to us for decades. What does it mean that God's word, which has covered the earth like a mist, dwelt in the highest heavens, and been seated in the pillar of cloud, walks among us, in Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, in Jesus is awe, power, and glory, but we also know that God's patient wisdom, passionate fire, and gentle teaching are also who Jesus is. So often, Epiphany and the story of the visit of the Magi are used to herald Jesus' kingship and future rule over all things. But perhaps the Magi were also celebrating God's wisdom God's creating word encountered directly in an individual human being. That same word which steadied Moses' hands as the Red Sea parted was now a child, a child worthy of gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We do not often think of God's word guiding the Israelites across the Red Sea. Far less often do we envision a woman steadying Moses' hands as the sea begins to part. But our text today challenges us to encounter God's word in Christ in new ways. The visit of the wise men to Jesus was an acknowledgement that something truly extraordinary was happening in the world through Jesus. Today is a communion Sunday for us here at Marsh. We celebrate the Lord's Supper each first Sunday of the month. 
We remember Jesus dining with friends, giving thanks over bread and cup, and offering the bread and cup as a tangible sign of participation in the new covenant. Just as something truly extraordinary happened in Christ's incarnation, we must recognize something extraordinary happens in the Eucharist. Christ is present in the fellowship of sharing the bread and the cup. God is incarnate in the sacrament. Each time communion is celebrated at Marsh Chapel, anyone who seeks to be in closer relationship with Christ is invited to receive the sacrament, to encounter Christ. Yes, the sacraments are just as mysterious as the best of Hebrew wisdom literature, but just as the abstraction of the literature points to something very real and true, so do the sacraments convey a very real encounter with God. Perhaps today you may not see the hand which studied Moses over the Red Sea, but perhaps you may feel Christ's passion to be in relationship with you, just as a lover longs for her mate. God is working in the sacrament in ways beyond our words. The question of just how and where God acts in communion has become a significant issue in recent months, even being featured in the Wall Street Journal. This summer, I was invited to participate in a consultation convened by the United Methodist Church on the subject of online communion. While no one would limit God's ability to work in any circumstance, it has been the historic position of the church that communion is an incarnational act occurring in a specific place and time where we invite God to be present with us as a gathered community. The chapel continues to affirm this position and gladly offers to extend the celebration of the sacrament into the homes of those who are unable to participate in the liturgy in the chapel nave this day through the presence of our staff or our clergy partners throughout the upcoming week. Should you be listening and desire to receive and cannot attend the chapel service or your local church, please contact us at chapel at bu.edu or via the various other methods on our website, and we'll be sure that the sacrament is made available to you. Much of the wisdom guiding the conversation regarding the sacrament and the eventual decision by our Council of Bishops to place a temporary moratorium on all online sacramental practice came from ecumenical partners outside the United Methodist Church. While the ecumenical movement often challenges us to see God and the Church in new ways, ecumenical partners can also serve the role of the gentle teacher of Proverbs admonishing us in our errors. As we celebrate today the wisdom of God incarnate in Christ and Christ incarnate in communion, I also give thanks for the divine wisdom which pervades the work of ecumenical cooperation. I had the privilege of being present for the 10th assembly of the World Council of Churches in Busan, Korea two months ago. God's wisdom still pervades the lumbering bureaucratic giant, which is the WCC. No, the council has not realized equal representation among women and men at the assembly. Neither has it realized a proportionate percentage of Christians from the global south on its central committee. But God's word is heard and experienced in daily Bible study as church leaders from across the globe gather to share reflections on scripture from their own traditions. God's word is manifest in the gathering of 150 young scholars, clergy and laity gather to share wisdom with one another about the intentional formation of the next generation of church leaders attuned to the increasing need for ecumenical cooperation in living the mission of the church to find the lost, heal the broken, feed the hungry, release the prisoner, rebuild the nations, and bring peace among peoples. But ecumenical cooperation really happens at the local level, when we partner with those from other traditions to bring out the best in one another. This morning in Dubuque, Iowa, St. Luke's singers from the local United Methodist Church have been invited to reprise Bethlehem's Child Cantata at First Congregational United Church of Christ. 
The wisdom of invitation energizes both communities, and it fosters further opportunities for cooperation. In this new year, I challenge you to see the word incarnate in Christ and to search out ways to affirm God's divine word moving in your midst. Volunteer in an ecumenical or interfaith homeless initiative like the Huntington, New York Interfaith Homeless Initiative, where churches and synagogues open their doors, providing shelter and care for those without a roof in these bitterly cold months. Invite the church down the street to join you in your spring bazaar and make it a real neighborhood block party. Or journey with one of the several interns here at Marsh Chapel as they seek to build community across denominational lines which can divide us. As we move from this season of Christmas into the new year, may you experience the word incarnate in Christ, receive Christ in the sacrament today, and participate in the work of God's word around you today and every day. Amen. Please be seated. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red book found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note that the chapel offices are uh, open, but not uh, our regular programming is not happening as intercession continues. We hope you'll keep an eye to the bulletin and the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, as activities resume at the start of the term uh, and for the opportunity for online giving. We note this Sunday is the first Sunday of the Christmas season and uh, first communion Sunday of the Christmas season. And so if you are after partaking communion, you are moved to do so, you may receive uh, the laying on of hands and anointing with oil for healing at the two healing stations on either side of the nave. Uh, we would note that you are welcomed and that our, the stations will remain there until all who so desire have been served. For communion this morning, uh, as Soren mentioned in the sermon, we do serve both wine and grape juice. Wine is found in the chalice on the pulpit side and grape juice in the chalice on the lectern side. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on the Christmas carol in the bleak midwinter. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
of giving and receiving. May you take these, our gifts today, that they may be blessed and used to show your love to the wider world. And may we be reminded of your spirit amongst us as we turn into a time of receiving your gifts of grape and grain. And may us understand the fullness of your mercy. In the name of the Holy, amen. amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And also with you. Let us exchange with one another signs of Christ's peace. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to our It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You created light out of darkness and brought forth light, life on the earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. In the fullness of time, you gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. And at his birth, the angels sang, Glory to you in the highest, and peace to your people on earth. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending your son Jesus Christ as Mary and Joseph went from Galilee to Bethlehem and there found no room so Jesus went from Galilee to Jerusalem and was despised and rejected as in the poverty of a stable Jesus was born so by the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit as your word became flesh, born of woman, on that night long ago, so on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave thanks to you, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, the glory, forever and ever. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us your peace.
Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Eternal light shine in our hearts. Eternal power be our strength. Eternal wisdom guide us as we seek to serve you in all whom we meet. To the honor and glory of your most blessed name, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 